We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans. Welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower, and we have officially wrapped up the first weekend of the Women's NCAA Tournament. Lots of upsets, lots of exciting games, and we are on to the regional round, Sweet 16 and Elite 8 coming up this weekend. But to start off, we're of course going to break down everything that happened this weekend. So to do that, I am here today with Calvin Mutzel. Hey, Calvin, how's it going? Hey, I'm good, Megan. How are you doing? Doing good. Operating on not much energy this morning. We got a late tip at stores last night. So I'm home at like 1.30 a.m., which is a little bit of a challenge for the day job today, but we're doing it. So um, if you see me drinking coffee in this video, that's why. <laughs> but those, those day jobs will get you. Yeah, <laughs> definitely getting me this week. Um, but I mean, it's ex- very exciting first weekend of the tournament we're down to 16 teams but so many upsets I think and also very many near upsets in the last four days so that's where we're going to focus our time today obviously there's so much to talk about we can't talk about everything but want to focus on those double digit seeds that pulled off some some pretty big wins yeah there's a you know I'm all about that as a mid-major fan and this is, uh, I mean, we've been going in that direction in the women's game, but to see it sort of finally coming to fruition to some extent, it's just really exciting. Even with all the ones that we, that we just missed, still, still had plenty of good ones. 
Yeah, exactly. I think we saw very quickly in this tournament that the top of some of these mid-major conferences is not far from the top, really the top of some of the the big power five conferences with the upsets we saw, um, but definitely that, you know, that middle tier as well, I think. I mean, the bottoms might be further off from the bottom of like a, a power conference, but these teams are out here competing and if they didn't pull off the upsets, they, they were all close games. I actually think those games were closer than like the four or five games yesterday in the second round, so. <laughs> yeah, I think those are the two biggest blowouts, especially yep. game over the whole. Oh yeah, that was, that was something else. <laughs> But yeah, all right. So to start, I feel like we have to start with the, the two 10 seeds that are going to the Sweet 16. So double the upsets. Not that I really call a seven versus 10 quite an upset. I feel like it kind of falls in that range that it's something that happens pretty often. But <laughs> uh, the second round winds over the two. Certainly, certainly upsets there. And starting with a team that's not technically a mid-major because Creighton plays in the Big East. And I don't think we're going to call any conference that UConn's playing in a mid-major conference. But Creighton, 10 seed, I still think falls in that kind of category of teams people probably haven't watched as much, maybe weren't expecting. They upset Caitlin Clark in Iowa in the round of 32 in a sold-out gym on their home court, too, to add on to that. So that was a very exciting game. I'm going to take a victory lap on this one, too, because I called it on Twitter the night before. But I think just... A game with the matchup really worked in Creighton's favor. Yeah, shout out to you for calling that. And, <laughs> and they also did it on the back of Lauren Jensen, who came from Iowa, transferred to get more playing time, and then said, hey, Iowa, why didn't you play me? Look what I can do on your home floor. <laughs> Hit the game-winning shot, score, I think it was 19 points. What a cool story. But you're right, Creighton is in that category. I mean, we talk about mid-majors, and I always – on one hand, I do feel like mildly annoyed when people talk about the power five in college basketball, because power five is a football thing. Like the big East is a power conference in basketball, but at the same time, it, it, in women's basketball, it's not big East isn't quite the same as, as what it is in men's basketball. And it's not a mid-major for sure, but it's also one of those conferences that after UConn, like you said, these teams and half of this is based on what services and channels you can get them on, but these teams just aren't really on national TV. We talk about flow hoops and whatever else you got to, you know, wherever you go, got to go find to see some of the mid to low tier teams in the Big East. It's not going to be ESPN, not during the regular season. So a lot of the national audience who kind of only tunes into those big time games hasn't seen anyone in the Big East outside of UConn, which then puts them in that same category, like you said, of teams like, wow. I had no idea they were good. I've never seen them. How did they beat Iowa? Because they were good, but they yep. just weren't good on national TV. They were good behind the scenes and no one knew. So it's definitely really exciting to see now that the last couple of years, the tournament has all been on national TV, ESPNU or ESPN News at worst, that everyone can see these teams who they didn't know were good and maybe sort of start to realize that there's, there's some legit talent outside of those top 10 teams that always get talked about. Yeah, exactly. And I think Creighton is a perfect example of that. Where this going into this Iowa matchup, I think what made it such the potential for the upset and then actually the upset is that they're one of the few teams in the country that can keep pace with an Iowa offense. They're, I think, fifth in the nation in points 
uh, per 100 possessions. So they're right up there with Iowa in terms of their scoring. And then um, a little bit actually better defensively than Iowa. Not that that's saying a whole lot considering <laughs> Iowa's defense. But that was the other thing about this matchup that kind of jumped out at me was the Crayons are a really hard team to defend. And I think something I've seen from watching them in the Big East and watching them play UConn. I actually remember when I, they played UConn at home this year, they were like really getting around the Huskies in terms of a really solid defensive team in terms and getting in these backdoor cuts, getting threes down from the perimeter. And I thought like when I was watching the game, I was like, UConn is not guarding the wall at all. And then remember going into the press conference afterwards and Gino being very pleased with the defense, which is one, something that doesn't happen very often. And then two, like, I was like, wait, what? But obviously I'm not going to argue with Gino. He knows a lot more about basketball than me, but I think it kind of just goes to show how a difficult of a team they are to guard because they can score from all five positions because they can score the ball in so many different ways you put a team like that against a team like Iowa that doesn't play a whole lot of defense, they're going to be able to keep pace with the scoring. And then they able, were able to contain Caitlin Clark just enough for that they pulled off that upset. Yeah, and that's 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 all coaching on both sides of the ball. Really, Jim Flannery just is an outstanding coach. And when you have five players moving and cutting and shooting well, it can make up for a little bit of talent. And when you have an excellent game plan, like they did on defense, maybe some Iowa fans might not be happy with the physicality of that game plan, but you know, the way that they were able to at least contain Caitlin Clark a little bit by just throwing bodies at her and, and sort of helping off uh, Kate Martin a little bit. I mean, it's, it's a great game plan and it worked. So, so absolutely respect to, to Creighton's coaching staff, not just Flannery, the whole coaching staff for that. Yeah, I mean, and in my opinion, it's March. It's going to be physical. That's that's how it is. I much prefer the way it was called in that game and like last night at UConn with a lot of people, which honestly my biggest gripe with that is the fact that like it was a 9 p.m. tip and I could have been home probably by like one if we didn't blow the whistle every 30 seconds <laughs> instead of 1.30. But anyway, mm. uh, but you know, it's going to be physical. And a team like Iowa, I think my like I would have never really picked them to make it to like a final four because you have to, I think you have to play defense at this time of the year and you have to be physical if you're going to win kind of these big games as you go forward and part of why I think they get knocked out early but in terms of other two seats that go down South Dakota over Baylor this one I cannot say I had on my bingo card at all and not because South Dakota is not a good team I just thought Baylor was playing well coming into this tournament but I mean, South Dakota just led that game wire to wire. There was Baylor could never come back. Yeah, I you know I went back and forth on this one on my bracket and went with Baylor, not because uh, I didn't go back and forth because I really actually thought South Dakota had like an over fifty percent chance to win or anything. I thought they were just way underpicked. I forget what the percentage was, but it's all about how much of the public is picking them. You know, they have a thirty percent chance to win, and ten percent of people are picking them. But I was kicking myself because obviously I ended up landing on Baylor. Either way, I mean, South Dakota is good. Like like you said, the top of some of these leagues and in the summit, when you talk about South Dakota and South Dakota State for the last several years, those two teams are really, really just good at basketball. Like, it's not any more deep than that. And, uh, you know, people want to try to figure out, like, how did they do it? Like, they're just good at basketball. It's like what the Kelly Graves quote that I put on Twitter. But the, the thing that I think – help South Dakota too is that a lot of times with these mid-majors or maybe Creighton or whoever whatever you want to call this category that we're talking about they have to you know they're smaller they're giving up size and so they have to make shots 
they have to be disciplined, they have to find ways to make up for that, which a lot of them do. But South Dakota, like Hannah Shervin in the middle, isn't giving up size. And she went toe-to-toe with Shakira Austin, who's going to be a lottery pick. She went toe-to-toe with Melissa Smith, who's going to be a lottery pick. And I, South Dakota, like size, talent, it, there's no deficit there. There's no gap. Like it's just a good team. And they were really helped too, I will say, by the COVID year because Shervin and Chloe Lamb and Liv Cornby, well, that's their big three. They're three-headed monster. They're all fifth-year seniors who came back with that COVID year. So really cool to see that year kind of help out some mid-major teams like that. But I was looking through our Her Hoop Stats model. This, this is my little soapbox real quick. I know you <laughs> and Jen have talked about having like a soapbox pot. I think this is about the closest thing we're going to get to it. People are all always like shocked by all these upsets. You know, I even saw one tweet like, I could not have told you that there was a University of South Dakota. I didn't know that existed. You know, like people like haven't even heard of these schools because all they do is watch, like we said, watch national TV games. Here's why it's not shocking though. Like, and I'm not trying to say like, I'm oh, I'm smart. I picked it because I didn't. But number one, like things that have less than a 50% chance of happening happen all the time, right? Like almost every three-point shooter is not a 50% shooter. And no one's shocked when like a 35% shooter makes a three. So it, that's, it's just not a big deal when something that has less than 50% chance of happening happens. Number two, looking through our Her Hoop Stats model. So this was the 244th biggest upset of the year and there's been like 130 days of the season that means we've had more than one of these a day on average so like it was high profile because it was Baylor and it was March but it really wasn't that big of an upset comparatively to the whole season because South Dakota is just good they're a good basketball team and they were probably underseeded in terms of team strength so I just I hope that, that, that something comes out of all this that Maybe like your casual fans start to realize that what you said on the top, that, that the top of some of these mid-major leagues, the top of the Atlantic Sun and of the Ivy and of the Summit can compete toe-to-toe with any power conference team, even if the middle or the bottom of some of those leagues is weaker. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's been very much on display so far in this tournament. Like you said, like we've seen so many upsets this season. Like, I don't think this is a bigger upset than like Tennessee losing to Auburn. Like when that happened, like this is not that seismic of an upset. It's obviously, like you said, higher profile. But yeah, I feel like as a woman's like game too, we just need to embrace the upsets a little bit more. Like you think about the men's side like all everyone's talking about right now is like the peacocks and st peter's like instead of making it all about like baylor losing and iowa losing like why aren't we talking about like the blue jays and the coyotes like that like that's what we need to get to i think too is like the next step now that it's happening like you gotta there's always that team on the side whatever it was Loyola a few years back the sister jane there's always like some storyline that gets embraced and everyone just like really jumps on the bandwagon we haven't really seen that i feel like this year yeah, no question. And you brought up a good point with the men's side. Like St. Peter's, uh, what's that kid's name? D- Doug Eder or Eder? Uh, that that kid who, who's been making all the shots for them. Um, they had, CBS had like a, I don't know, five to 10 minute little feature on him, ready to go <laughs> for game two after they beat Kentucky. Like there's, you know, there's no way they just made it on the right. spot. Right. Like he wasn't doing those interviews that day. So just on the off chance that they beat Kentucky in the first round, they just had this thing ready to go. Imagine if ESPN, instead of putting all their time into 
no offense to UConn fans, Paige Becker's features and Aaliyah Boston features and Caitlin Clark features that end up being irrelevant because Caitlin Clark loses before the Sweet 16. <laughs> Imagine if they also put some time into making like a Chloe Lamb feature just in case South Dakota makes the Sweet 16 and had that ready to go. How cool would that be? And I think now that we're seeing more of these upsets, like the men's side, hopefully the media side of things can embrace it, like you said, in terms of actually giving some shine and some spotlight to some of these players on these mid-majors teams who have really cool stories that maybe don't get told because the narrative is all around the National Player of the Year candidates or whoever else. Yeah, exactly. And I think hopefully, I mean, that's been right in the next direction. So we're starting to see these upset ups all the time. So you've got to move, I think, in that direction with the media attention. So hopefully that's what we're going to see going forward. And we've got a week before next weekend. So hopefully we'll see some <laughs> of it. Maybe I, I don't want to give my hopes up too much. <laughs> For- yeah, yeah, you know, I'll just say too, when I was watching, I don't know if you saw this, you were watching Baylor South Dakota when they put the like the stats on the screen or whatever, or maybe it was another game and they did a little flash over to the mm-hmm. stats. Um, and they had un- under the game score, they have like the top two players in stats, right? So they're like Melissa Smith and I don't know, Queen Egbo or whoever, mm-hmm. and Hannah Sherwood and Chloe Lamb. And they had pictures of Melissa Smith and whoever the other one was. And they didn't have pictures of the South Dakota people. And that like, that's not even a feature. That doesn't even take time and effort and work and editing just get a picture like you, you can have a picture of all 68 teams ready to go that is that's like some low-hanging fruit but they didn't because they just weren't expecting to South Dakota to play Baylor. they weren't expecting to need that so I yeah I don't know that I would like to see just a little bit more we talk about equity between men's and women's and that's a big deal and also how about just equity in terms of at least tournament coverage you know if not regular season between teams like South Dakota and teams like Baylor yeah and I think that's I don't know, an area, probably a different podcast, but like, I feel like the NCAA is missing the mark a little bit on the NCAA, or on the equity stuff. Like, it doesn't mean that everything has to be the same as the men's tournament, which is yes. how it seems to be interpreted. It's, yeah, you can do things different and it's still equitable. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's, a, whole, that's a whole other <laughs> Yeah, you're right, though. I'm, I'm right there with you on that. It uh, may, may or may not be well-intentioned, but yeah. anyway. <laughs> well intentioned but yeah. I'm missing the mark a little bit still I'm not even sure if it is well intentioned or not but okay. <laughs> yeah fair topic for another day <laughs> we're at least moving in the right direction I think yes. slowly yeah. <laughs> all right but going back to the first round those were the two biggest in the second round we almost saw some more ones in the second round yesterday didn't quite get there one of those Belmont took Tennessee right down to the wire the last like, minute of that game literally took like 40 minutes but <laughs> Belmont couldn't quite pull it off missed some three throws at the end I think a common thread that we saw in some of the upsets that fell just a little bit short yesterday but they take down Oregon in the first round so that was a big upset in itself I think Oregon a team a lot of people myself included thought could get hot in this tournament but they bow out very early in the first round yeah, and Belmont's just another team that's really talented. Destiny Wells is really good. And they're coming to the Missouri Valley next year, so I cannot wait to see them in person here in town because that it's fun. You know, they, their little social media hashtag or whatever, Splashville. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it's, it's a fun squad. Tootie Jones is a star. But, yeah, it, they went toe-to-toe. Obviously, they beat Oregon. They went toe-to-toe. If you knock down two free throws at the end of the game, go up four instead of being up two, you knock off Tennessee 
on their home court. What was cool to me about this too, and maybe Belmont had a slight advantage here, but I don't want to take anything away from what they did. Obviously, Tennessee and Belmont are in state. So Belmont had a lot of fans, yeah. even though it was a road game. I mean, it was it was a road game, but Oregon had to travel way further than Belmont. And Belmont brought it. I don't know how much you were able to watch when you were in the arena at UConn, but that section was hopping. And Belmont Betty, <laughs> I saw her on Twitter. She was lit. Like, that was cool. I love seeing mid-majors with, you know, get that kind of support, especially on the road. So I think Belmont's going to be around for a while, though. I mean, Destiny Wells is a sophomore. I know they got a couple good seniors, but that's just a program. Yeah, I mean, it's the second year in a row they pull off a big upset in the first round. I forget who they beat last year, but they did it last year. Gonzaga. Gonzaga, yes, yes, yeah. Did it last year too? Like you said, they're gonna be around, and yeah, the crowd was awesome. I was I was able to watch most of it yesterday because we were like up in the media room eating and watching that game before the UConn game took off last night, and just a really fun game. Obviously, just didn't quite pull it off against Tennessee, but I mean, a team that's very clearly a very good team, right? Two big upsets. They too, like I think you look at like a team like Creighton or South Dakota, and they had to knock off a seven in the first round, and then they do knock off the two. But like that's a five and a four that Belmont almost knocked off. So two teams that are considered to be. I mean, that's the what the second best team in the Pac-12 and the second best team in the SEC that they almost knocked off. So yeah, and I mean Belmont's a 12 seed too. And you yep. look at Creighton and South Dakota, like as maybe unknown as they were, they were at large teams. Right. South Dakota would have would have been if they needed to be at large caliber teams, maybe I should say. Mm -hmm. They were getting in the tournament either way, you know, as 10 seeds. Maybe South Dakota drops to an 11 if they don't win their right. conference championship game. Whereas Belmont wasn't. When you look at where they were as a 12 seed, if they didn't win that OVC championship, they were going to be in the WNIT. Can you imagine a team that talented as WNIT? That's actually, I think, what we have right now with South Dakota State in the WNIT. Oh, yeah. uh, but it's just what what the deal is with the until the committee starts, uh, you know, or maybe I should say stops <laughs> putting so much weight on strength of schedule and compared to the weight that they put on how you played against that schedule. Mm -hmm. it's we're going to keep seeing teams like South Dakota State miss the tournament you know teams like Belmont get a 12 seed teams like FGCU get a 12 seed teams like Princeton get an 11 seed because it doesn't matter how good they are they played a weak schedule and so they get under seed mm -hmm. which is a whole nother soapbox but I, <laughs> it does give us some more upsets too so yeah yeah, I mean, I don't think I can roll my eyes far enough into the back of my head about Florida football <laughs> being a 12 seed. Like, for, I feel bad for Virginia Tech and that matchup because they just got, like, the very short end of the stick as a 5 seed. There's no way you should have to play Florida Gulf Coast as your 12. That was absolutely ridiculous. But, yeah, I think we we're seeing that a lot. I feel like a lot of the mid-major teams just feel very underseeded this year, and I think it's, one, not respecting that the top of these conferences are really playing at the level that are are kind of, you know, up with some of the top of these power conferences. But just, like, I think part of it comes from the scheduling, too, because these teams, I think, try to schedule harder in their, you know, up front in their non-conference slate to make up for the fact that they play in these leagues. But it feels like, from to me at least, from the power five teams, you get your, like, your power teams, like your Baylors, your Stanfords, your Tennessees, your South Carolinas that want to schedule these harder mid-major opponents at the beginning of the season because they – want to try to get quality wins in in the beginning and they want to test themselves but then I think when you start getting to the middle of your power five leagues 
you don't really see teams scheduling these harder like mid-major teams to play because they don't have to, right? They know that they're going to play in the SEC, they're going to play in the Pac-12, and the committee is going to respect that strength of schedule. So they don't need to get these like harder games in that they could lose at the beginning of the season. They're going to play their cupcakes and win and then <laughs> use the strength of their conference schedule. But I think I would like to see that like change. And I don't know how, because the numbers don't really seem to reflect it on the net and stuff. But I don't, so I don't know how you get to a place where it, it changes, but like, I think that if you, you know, I've teams other than like a South Carolina that are obviously going to kill us, well, not kill, but like are going to beat South Dakota in the preseason. But if you're going to play a team that's in the middle of the SEC, like South Dakota probably wins that game, but they have to be able to schedule it. Yeah, you're 100% right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad you're with me on this soapbox because I, I, I'm pretty sure we're not big enough for this to happen, but on the off chance, anyone on the committee ever sees this <laughs> strength of schedule does not matter. Yeah. I'm just I mean, it does it matter, but like, yeah, it's like, Honestly, to an extent, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, to me, I don't know. Like, I don't even know if I think it matters at all because here's the thing. Like if a team just hypothetical team, a plays nothing, but like the bottom 20 teams in the country, like, mm-hmm teams ranked in the 300s and they beat them all by 85 true team a is still really good like who cares that they didn't play anyone good they're still a really good team and in terms of team strength could probably compete with the top 40 teams in the country they just happen to not have played them but it's to me it's a it's not about who did you play it's about how did you play and the committee loves to look at who did you play and just forget about how well you played against the who, right? Which is why all these mid-majors are underseeded. Because FGCU, they played awesome all year, but they played awesome against an A-Sun that outside of maybe Liberty and one or two other teams didn't provide very much competition. So they didn't care that FGCU was beating everyone by 30 plus and that they got a you know, first round WNBA pick, they didn't, they didn't play anyone. That's where you are. They didn't play anyone. Who did they play? I mean, quad one wins, whatever. Like, <laughs> but they're a really good team. Like, that's the bottom line. So I would, I'm with you. I would love to see something change in that regard. And like you said, a lot of these power conference teams aren't willing to play the, these really good mid-major teams because the casual fan, this is another part of this Kelly Graves quote right uh, the casual fan maybe doesn't know that South Dakota was good maybe hadn't heard of South Dakota as a school but you know who does know that South Dakota is really good is every power conference coach they know <laughs> and they know that FGCU is really good they're not surprised at all that Creighton beat Iowa right because mm-hmm. they know the strength of these teams and they know that if they go try to play a team like Belmont in the pre in the you know non-conference season that they might get got <laughs> so they just don't do it and I something needs to change. I'm, yeah, you're right. I don't know what it's, it's a tough process to figure out what maybe the solution is, but right now it's really hurting mid-majors and it's really hurting the Virginia techs of the world who have to play these vastly underseated mid-majors. Right. These power conference teams that do belong at the seat that they got and get 
place to someone that, that should not be what you should be rewarded with burning a five seed in, in the first round. Um, yeah, I yeah. think the other example of that is Princeton too. I did 11 felt extremely low for Princeton and a perfect example of not just who you play, but how you play. I think they rolled through the Ivy. I want to say they like averaged a margin of victory in conference play, like something ridiculous, like 27 points, which the Ivy is like a decent conference top to bottom too, in terms of their depth and as a mid-major conference. So again how you play not who you play and then I mean well I don't think Kentucky should have ever been a succeed anyway so I'm less than surprised by this it doesn't even feel like an upset it feels like what should have happened first it was the better team and they won the game <laughs> yeah I mean our model had Princeton winning yeah uh you know betting sports books basically had this as like even to start with and then you know everyone bet on Kentucky for some reason I guess because Kentucky was the story, you know, and her Princeton. So Kentucky ended up favored by two and a half. Either way, any sort of like prediction type of thing that you look at had this as a really close game. So, but you know, you know, the other thing that while I'm just unloading all my soapboxes here, <laughs> we always get these alerts and stuff that say like, oh, so-and-so shocks so-and-so, so-and-so stuns so-and-so, right? Like Princeton stuns Kentucky. Like, I don't know if it was really a stunner. I think Princeton's <laughs> just a better basketball team. I like Kentucky's would have stunned Princeton if Kentucky won. That's what I think. But it's easy to it's easy to just not get out your thesaurus and use words like that when one the team that won had a higher number on their seed line. <laughs> exactly. I think anyone that was kind of paying attention to the broader picture this year kind of like had that Princeton one circled for sure they were just I don't know Princeton was a very good basketball team this year and to see you know Kentucky got high at the right time and I get that's why they got six but I think they their conference tournament performance got overweighted a lot in that seat line in my opinion we were talking about a Kentucky team that like going into that conference tournament might not even gotten an at-large bid and then they end up as a six seed because they win three games in three days which like respect to them because that's you know, winning that CC is a big deal, but at the same time, <laughs> succeed was a little overzealous. Yeah, and like the South Carolina win in particular was a really, really good win right. on the resume, and I'm sure that's what got them up to the six seed. So I don't want to take away from that, but you know who else had a win over South Carolina is like Missouri, and they yep. didn't get into the tournament. So which is obviously fine. The Missouri didn't need to be at the tournament, but yeah, <laughs> I, it is it is fine, but it's <laughs> it's a little bit weird to see the committee really overvalue a South Carolina win for one team and not the other. You know, part of me thinks, I don't know, Ryan Howard effect, just potential number one, maybe number two pick. Mm -hmm. I mean, the committee is all human beings. So right. so they hear all the narratives and they like as much as they try to be objective, human beings can't be objective. And I wouldn't be either. If I were trying to do this, I wouldn't be able to be objective either. I got my biases and all that. So <laughs> that's why, honestly, I wish we had a computer system. We don't need a committee anymore. John Gassaway talks about this all the time on the men's <laughs> side. I think you follow him on Twitter, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, we don't need it on the women's side either. We, True. The committee doesn't have to exist. We, mm -hmm. we could use computers to do this in an objective way. And it would be, I think, just lead to a better product overall. Yeah, that is, that is true. I feel like you have to have the right number first, though, because I don't know that the net is quite there to be the computer that decides what's who's, no, who's out. Not the, not the net. The the John Gassaway one is strength of record. I also like wins above bubble. Yeah. Last year, I know I kind of got on that train a little bit, but it really needs to be a number that 
takes into account wins and losses and doesn't take into account running up the score. Yeah. In my opinion, because I don't think there should be an incentive to run up the score. Uh, and right now, Lynette does take into account margin, which is really important in terms of predicting a win. <laughs> but I think it's that's a little bit different than rewarding right. past performance of the season. These are all just my opinions. <laughs> people who disagree with me, that's fine. I'm kind of opinionated on this stuff, but you know, <laughs> to each their own, whatever. Not trying to slam anyone. <laughs> I'm, I'm personally in favor of no more committee. Yeah, no, I think no shade to who's on the committee. <laughs> it would be an interesting approach. I think some of the things in college that make it harder is like things like, you know, the injury considerations and well, especially like in a COVID situation, like it, I think these years have made it harder. But at the same time, like, I don't think that we're seeing the same treatment of injuries from top to bottom of the seating. Like, I think you see it in top sure like that was, there was definitely adjustments made for your big teams but like Florida Gulf Coast being a 12 when they lost I think what two games this season one of them they didn't have Kirsten Belfort like I think that tells you everything you need to know about how injuries were considered when you got down to some of the <laughs> the lower teams I mean a team like Villanova too right 11 seed were like talked about as being on the bubble when they didn't have Maddie Seacrest for the majority of their losses I think same thing and their team that pulled off I think the last episode that we haven't spoken about yet is a double-digit seed beat BYU in, in the first round as well. So they made it on to the next round too. So not a true mid-major again, Big East team, but a team that still, I think, got a little underrated. Maddie Seager's the player that – one of the best players in the country that doesn't necessarily get any of the, the hype that the best players in the country tend to get. Yeah, second-leading scorer in the country, and I'll bet – if you if you pulled you know people who are watching all these games, almost everyone would have been able to tell you that Caitlin Clark was the leading scorer in the country. Right. And if you asked them who's right behind her, no one would have had any idea. <laughs> no one maybe have even heard of whoever's right behind her. But she's she's been a bucket. She's been a baller all season long, and she gets she gets hers in so many different ways. It's fun to watch too, in a lot different ways than Caitlin Clark. Mm-hmm. Cutting obviously, and a lot of off ball movement, and she's a knockdown shooter as well. But it was really cool to get to see the world kind of see her, see her twice, you know, 80 minutes of national TV because they pulled off that win. And I will say, I hate when the teams that are victims of those upsets are also mid-major teams. BYU. <laughs> but I, you know, I can't be upset about it. Villanova played well and they deserved it. Um, and I'm, they've been a good team all year. Like you said, impacted by injury a little bit earlier on. By the way, if the committee really, really took injuries into account, I think UConn would have been a one seed over Louisville, but maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't know. Just, I could see the argument that, that one? but I'm not going to make that argument because I think I'm going to let people in my mind. Just tell me that I'm biased. Well, we'll see. We'll see how many I get. But I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling spicy today, so I'm just going in. Yeah. I, the injuries is a tough one because if you look at pro leagues, they don't take into account injuries. Right, right. If someone gets hurt in, in WNBA and they end up getting the nine seed, and then their star comes back at the end of the season, too bad. You know, you're not in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how I feel about it, though. On one hand, it would be nice to take that into account and reward teams if, or, you know, not punish them if someone were hurt, you know. But uh, then you do have to be subjective again. And subjective is kind of hard because humans, we, we kind of suck at stuff. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I could be swayed either way if someone wants to convince me on that kind of thing. I'm pretty open. But that's an interesting one as well. But yeah, like you said, Villanova really cool and they hung with Michigan for about three plus quarters too yeah. on the road so 
they, they can hoop. Yeah, and this is an developmental team too. That's going to be really good next year as well. I mean, Maddie Seacrest is only a junior. She'll be back. Their point guard, who has been really good for them this season, Lucy Olson, is only a freshman. So, like, this team is just only getting better. I think that's, I mean, a lot of these teams, right? They're, they're, a lot of these teams are going to benefit from that fifth year. They're going to have people back. I think that's part of why we're seeing a lot of these big upsets. You've got a lot of experience on some of these rosters, which is definitely helping as well. So, going to be exciting for next year too like I don't think this is going away it's going to keep happening yeah I think Villanova is only losing one player from their rotation unless someone transfers or something if I remember correctly is that right you're the biggest guru yeah yeah I'm pretty sure it's just one so like they've got a lot coming back it's still a young team so they're going to get better they've got good pieces coming in as well so I think yeah the team that's going to be hanging around. They're going to be looking to beat you kind of good next year in the Big East, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be another, what was it, like 10 years since UConn lost the conference yeah. game before they no, lost that one. I, I don't think it's good, however long, you know, maybe it's two years, I don't know. We'll see it again, though. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the Big East, and I think UConn being back helps this, right, because it helps with recruiting and stuff to have a team like UConn in your league that players want to play against and be part of a like a league that's going to be considered one of the better leagues but I think you're seeing it at DePaul right now with Anissa Morrow you're seeing it at Villanova with Maddie Segrist and what they have coming in Creighton a really is a really really good team I think like we said underrated but a very good basketball team Seton Hall has had potential they didn't quite make the tournament this year Marquette so I think the Big East is definitely on the rise why it feels a little odd talking about them as a mid-major not just because UConn's in it but I think you're starting to see the top half, I think, more of the Big East is going to compete, I think, on a national level very soon. So then I don't really think you can call it a mid-major. Yeah, there probably will be a time pretty soon where it's the consensus that the Big East is not a mid-major top to bottom. They're playing really well in the WNIT, too. Marquette's been doing a great job. So, uh, I mean, I think that tells you something about a league, too. Yeah. I mean, they have as many teams in the Sweet 16 as the SEC does, so... <laughs> <laughs> super meaningful <laughs> you heard you heard it here from megan gower the biggest is as good of a league top to bottom as the sec that's what i, I didn't say top to bottom the top well, but we won't get into that sec right now anyway <laughs> all right well i think that's it for today we've got sweet 16 elite eight regionals coming up next weekend Calvin and I will hopefully be coming to you. We'll, we'll, we'll be coming to you live from Minneapolis, hopefully live podcasting too from Minneapolis in a couple weeks. So, well, less than two weeks now. So, yeah. Exciting. Like 10 days. Yeah. So pumped. <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining me, Calvin. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Megan. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening. As always, make sure you rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to us. Also, be sure to subscribe to the stat site, herhoopstats.com, for all the stats you need, especially during the NCAA tournament. And be sure to subscribe to our Substack newsletter, which is free to get all of your best, our best content in your inbox. And lastly, be sure you're following us on social media at herhoopstats on all platforms. We'll be at a lot of the regionals and the final four. So follow along for the rest of the tournament with us. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.